grief. That word holds so much, doesn't it? So much hurt and sadness and brokenness. It tends to come in waves when you have a chronic illness. I mean, there are so many things that change. There are so many things that are lost. But it's especially hard when certain things are progressing in a way that you never anticipated or saw coming. And you know, I'd like to say over the past nine years that grief gets easier and it's just safer to handle, but that's just not true. So today I want to talk about grieving a life that could not be. Hey friends, I'm Cassie and I'm a married Spoonie who lives the chronic illness life. Here each week, I'll challenge you to live intentionally and authentically, where every spoon you use has a purpose and every step you take matters. Welcome to Chronically Cultivating. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I've been experiencing loss. I've been grieving over what I thought was my future, and I've been pretty quiet about it. This month, we made everything public, which was, I think, the hardest part of all of it. I decided that I just want to talk about it. I want to talk about what happened and what this grieving process has looked like for me, as it's been very different than my grieving processing times have been in the past. So for those that don't know and have not heard anything about this, uh, Jared and I, for three years, ran a dance medicine clinic and coaching service. Um, It was called Off-Season Training, and it was my baby. It was everything. It started back in 2014 with my ideas for everything, became a business in 2016, and it's just carried on. I loved what I did. I worked with dancers typically between the ages of 10 and 16 that were training in a pre-professional capacity and were looking to take things to the next level. They wanted to start competing, whether in international ballet competitions or working on auditioning for companies. That was really where we worked. Um, And we also, you know, helped dancers that were injured. That was a huge piece of this. So I think I've talked about it before, but I was a dancer training with the hopes of moving into a pre-professional track and I got really injured. And looking back now, we know those injuries were so severe because of the Ehlers-Danlos that we didn't know was there. Um, But when I was 16, I was absolutely devastated. And I grieved for a while. Then my coach had come to me and said, I I really think that you could coach well. And um, she started mentoring me from the age of 16 and helped me do everything I needed to get all my certifications and all of those different things. You know, that was kind of where off-season training came about. I started really researching, you know, how we could improve for our dancers um, over the summer when they're not dancing in season and it was the off-season that's how we got our name off-season training. And it started in 2014 where I 
well, 2013 was when I had the idea and started researching. And then come 2014, I had this idea for a summer intensive, you know, like I asked my coach, I said, I really want to try this out. Do I have your permission to do this here in the studio with your dancers? And she said, absolutely. So I did a trial run of this program and the results that I saw were were really something. And I just said, we've got to do more. We've got to figure this out. You know, then I started school. Um, that was when, you know, everything happened that year when I was in the ICU and with memory loss and all of those things. And when I started to come back from that, um, I went back to teaching and training and all of those things. And I was like, you know what? This idea that I had, it's not just an idea anymore. It's something that I could actually do. So in 2016, we were running a research study through the university that I was attending, like a real research study. It was amazing. And I got to work with some incredible dancers and it was just fantastic. And on the 25th of July in 2016, Jared proposed to me with the company paperwork that would show that we owned off-season training. We we were in business, all of that. Because, you know, starting a business is expensive. And I had told him, like, I want this company. This is what I want. So that was everything. I mean, this was our future. This was what we were both in school for. And, you know, what I loved so much about it was that I had created a job that I could do from a wheelchair that was extremely important to me because I knew that was a possibility given the place that my joints were in. And I wanted a job that I could do even if I couldn't physically get up. And that was so empowering. Even in um, 2017, when I was on crutches and using a wheelchair part-time, all of those things, people would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I can still do my job. And I made it so that I could have a job that I could do from a wheelchair. And I'm really happy. And I was. And then my hip had dislocated. That was a huge shift. But then, I mean, I got my brace and I got um, crutches that were easier on my shoulders and I just kept going. Life continued. No problem. And that was awesome. And then my shoulders gave out and my hip got worse and my body just got worse. We had talked last year. This is probably six months after I had paused working you know, Jared and I had a conversation about the future with OST and all those things. And I just was like, Jared, I can't, I cannot give it up. You you cannot ask me to do that right now. And I was like, we just need to let my body come out of this like it always does and life will be back to normal. And that never happened. So here we are a year and a half later. And I have fortunately gotten to a point where now I receive home care, so I'm not in the hospital very often, but I'm in a lot of ways housebound um, outside of going to appointments. You know, I have an occasional outing with um, my family or going on a date with Jared or going out with Mara and having just a girl's day, but in a lot of ways, I'm very much homebound. 
And when it came time to decide what we were going to do with off-season training, it ultimately came down to money. It was costing us a lot in state fees just to keep it open and running when we, like, you know, we weren't bringing anything in at that time. Jared had actually, like, three months before we had to make this decision, he had already been grieving over this, and we didn't even really talk about it because I didn't know. He had had one moment that I can remember where he had gotten just really emotional about OST and the place my body was in and all of that, but he, now we've talked about it, and He just said like he knew from the way that I was responding that in my head it was not over yet and he was not going to be the person that was going to take that away from me. So he just was like, he knew at that point that it was done, but I'm, I'm very grateful that he patiently waited for me. You know, there's some part of me was almost angry with him at first that he did that because I wanted him to be as upset as I was in that moment and even now but he had already grieved on his own and come to terms with it so in some ways that was so helpful because he had he just had a view that I didn't have because I hadn't walked through this grief yet you know he always (laughs) we have a joke um that I'm the queen of bad timing whether it's when he just sits down asking for something or he starts to fall asleep and I realize that I need something or whatever it is. Um, so it's a big joke between us that I'm the queen of bad timing. And it was really late at night and Jared works very early in the morning. So we are typically in bed between nine and nine 30. I forget what had been going on, but we were up later because it was at least 10, 10 We were in bed and Oh, I had gotten an email. I was checking my email before bed. That's what it was. And I got an email just saying we either had to like pay all these fees to renew our business or we needed to close it. And I just in that moment, like it hit me all at once. And I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And Jared was so great. He just held me in. He knew we didn't have to talk about it. He knew what what it was. And, um, You know, our joke was when I was kind of collecting it, I apologized and I was just like, I'm really sorry this happened tonight. And he's like, it's okay. It suits you. You're the queen of bad timing. And we both laughed, but I had not anticipated, I think, how much this would hurt. You know, I really wanted to share with you what this process of grief was like. So I have my prayer journal in front of me and I'm going to share some of it with you. But before I do that, I want to point out that this is really new for me as far as coming to God with my grief. So in the past, I have shut him out. I have blamed him. I have cursed at him and I wanted nothing to do with him. You know, my relationship with God now is extremely different than it was even a couple years ago, maybe even I would say six months. I have a really important devotional time that I try to spend with God every morning. And it's kind of lengthy. And I never thought I would be one of those people that would spend like an hour and a half to two hours doing devotionals in the morning. But that's where I'm at now. And I'm so grateful for that. So it would make sense that in this time of, well, not really time, I guess with this season that I'm in, that I would view things differently because I'm very close with God in a different way. 
I didn't want to shut him out. As broken as I felt that night, and even when I woke up the next day, because as we all know, just because you cried out doesn't mean it's gone. It's still there. I just was like, God, I don't want to do this without you, but I'm hurting. And this was what I wrote the morning after that. And I said, Lord, my heart is broken and heavy. I know eventually that I will understand. But for right now, I am disappointed and hurting. I never imagined it would be this hard or hurt this much. And I don't even know how to carry on or move forward. And I know that this does not mean that you've thrown away your plans for me. But I feel as if my heart and my heart's desires have been thrown out. I feel numb and weary, lost and sad and forgotten. And I know the enemy is working really hard to make me feel purposeless and bitter. Help me grieve and honor you through this grief. Allow me to worship you by doing the hard things for you, even the hardest things that are the closest to my heart. And that was my prayer. And I wish that it was that simple. I wish that I would just need to say that prayer and boom, everything got better. But that's not what happened. So in this period of my life, I was very proactive when all of this started. I started devotionals, like extra devotionals on grief. And um, my mentor actually came over that morning after I had written that prayer. And she just came over and grieved with me. We just talked it all out and cried. And I just got ahead of it in that way. But I think the biggest thing that has changed is I'm allowing myself to feel everything. That was not something that I had done in the past. My therapist had always encouraged that. I just wanted to put things on a shelf and not deal with them because that was easier. Denial was easier. This time around, though, I didn't want to do that because when you put things in that denial place in your brain, they always come back in the worst way at the worst time. It's a chaotic mess. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to grieve this right now. So I am allowing myself to feel everything. I am, in a sense, allowing myself to bathe in the brokenness that I feel. But what's so amazing about God is he wants us even when we're a mess, even when we doubt him, even when we're mad at him, even when we are disappointed, he still wants us. He still wants our hearts. You know, this was not how he intended the world to be. There was never supposed to be sin or hurt or brokenness or lost dreams, any of that. And he's grieving with us. And that's something that has been so close to my heart. And as I've been um, going through and reading and studying and working, you know, there were things that were really hard to come to. For instance, one of the biggest questions on my heart was, you know, how could any good come from losing something that was so life-giving? Because that was the thing, is that I never viewed what I did as a job. It was my life. It was my heart. It made me so happy. It was truly life-giving. So I took this question to the Bible and I got to Romans 8, 28. And it says, you know, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. And I just went, but God, I don't understand. 
I have been reading through an amazing book by Lisa Turkarest, which is, it's not supposed to be this way. And I think it's in the first or second chapter. She says, sometimes to get your life back, you have to face the death of what you thought your life would look like. That was honestly really, really hard. And I recognized, you know, as she's written this book and she's gone through all that she has, she's gotten to that place where she's on the other side. And I was just like, man, I'm not there yet. What's amazing about God is he said, that's okay. This is going to take time. The other day, I was very specifically feeling purposeless. And that was just hitting me so freaking hard. I can't even begin to explain the emptiness that I was feeling. I was hurting over not just the loss that we had, but the lost potential, the lost opportunities. And I realized that I missed coaching. I missed teaching. I missed dancing and walking and it just hit me. And I know that my heart is full in him. So that was what I was just praying over. And then I went into my Bible promises devotional that I've been working through and God being the amazing God he is, I opened it up to that day and it was about God's plans for you. And I just literally sat there and I just took a breath and I think I laughed because I was just like, okay, on the day when I'm feeling so empty and like I have no purpose, you're going to have me dig into your plans for me. You know, the verse that was in this devotional along with others, but most people know it, whether you've read the Bible or not, which is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans, leave you a hope and a future. And what I wrote in that journal was, um, a quote that I had read that was just on constant, like repeat in my mind, which was God's plans will always be greater and more beautiful than all of your disappointments. That was it was good to reflect on that, but it also, I just want to be so clear about this. It did not make things suddenly better. I think at times we hear a Bible verse or a quote or a message, whatever it is, you know, people want to use that positivity prescription that we've talked about. And, you know, just because someone recognizes that God's plans are going to be greater and more beautiful than all your disappointments, that does not change how awful and heartbreaking and broken those disappointments have made you feel. It's a step in the right direction towards healing, but it doesn't just magically change things. Later on, I was thinking about this. I just got into a really angry place because I was like, God, you say that you have good plans for me and that they're not meant to hurt me. You led me to coaching. You led me to starting a business. You opened all of the doors. You made this possible. Why on earth would you take this away? I just, I literally just felt like I didn't understand why I was continuing to entertain, let alone execute, bringing the dreams that he's given me to life because he just takes them away. I was angry. I mean, like, 
think about that. You have a dream. God gives it to you, opens the doors. So not only do you entertain making this dream a reality, you execute it and it's great. And then it gets taken away. And I just said, God, you've done this twice now. You've done this twice as far as a career goes. And you've allowed this to happen tons of times in so many other ways. I was just like, I am trying so hard to not do the whole why me, God, plea, um, because that was an old habit that I really wanted to stay away from in this season of grief. I just was like, and I don't want to just give in to that, but I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this. I love what you allowed me to create, and I'm devastated to see it end. I even wrote something along the lines of, I know that you're going to help me grieve this loss and prepare me for all that you still have in store. But right now, I don't want new. I don't want a new future. I don't want a new dream. I want OST back, and I want my body back, and I just want everything back. And then I cried for a while. I just didn't even know what to do. So I opened up my Bible again, and I read through Jeremiah 2911. Then I started thinking about, oh, I don't remember the verse off the top of my head right now, but God talks about how everything that you do is purposeful and that nothing you do is ever pointless. And I just was like, God, I put everything I had into OST. That was supposed to be our future. How on earth can I look back at what I did and look at where I'm at now and almost not see it as a waste? I struggled with that because it wasn't a waste. I was able to help people move their careers forward. There were so many things, right, that had a purpose and still matter even now that that business has closed. But I was just stuck between that thought of, was this all a waste? Was there a point? Or does it still matter? I didn't know what to do. So again... I went back to Jeremiah 29, 11. I was determined to talk this out with God. I was just like, we are going to do this together. And I have questions. You know, before I started reading again, the same verse, expecting a different result. I just was like, God, I need to hear you. Please reveal your heart to me. And I read the verse again. And I would love to tell you that something magical happened and my eyes were opened, but that didn't happen. So I just sat with it. I said, all right, this is what I'm feeling. And I carried on my day. So now flash forward, probably a week or two, we've been dealing with all the legal paperwork. There were so many different hoops that we had to jump through. And there was so much, and you know, we wanted to make sure we didn't do anything wrong. Um, we just, you know, for me, I was like, I just need this to be over. I need it just to be done. And I needed that encouragement that God still planned a future for me. So I went back to Jeremiah 29, 11. But I decided that I wanted to read more of the chapter, not just that verse. I wanted to gain context. I wanted to understand what was kind of going on 
in that chapter. So this was what I found. So I, I'll start from the verse and then I want to continue on. And this was what has really changed everything. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Whoa. So what I realized, and this was how I interpreted the scriptures, was that when God was saying all of that, they, I don't think they saw the future. I don't think that this verse was given just to encourage. I think that this verse was given in a time of heartache. And then he says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. He knows that like he, he wants us Sorry, I'm stumbling over my words because my brain is like going so fast. Um, But he wants us to call on him and come and pray to him when our hearts are a mess and they're broken and they're doubtful and unsure and are scared. And he makes sure to point out And I will listen to you. He is not going to become deaf to what we're talking about. He is going to be there. He is going to be present. He is going to be by our side. Like that just is such confirmation. And then he says, and you will seek me. And, when, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And that is what I have done. And what I had desired to do was to seek him in this grief and to feel him. And, you know, every time that I read about seeking God with your whole heart, I always think about, The times that I actually seek with my whole heart are the times that that I'm broken and I'm hurting and I'm vulnerable and I feel like I don't even know if my heart is completely intact and that's when I feel him. That's when I experience God so powerfully. And, you know, then he says, and I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity. And I don't think captivity was just in the literal sense 
um, when his people were in captivity, he's talking about death and lost dreams and failures and financial struggles and broken hearts and broken bodies. All of that, he will bring us back. In another translation, it says, he will restore your fortunes. And so friends, the grief isn't over. Even with that amazing encouragement, I'm still grieving. And that's okay. I'm going to grieve as long as I need to. And I know that he is going to be by my side through every doubt, every disappointment, every lost opportunity. And I know that he will prepare my heart for what's next. And it's really hard to look at what I have and be content right now. Because even though I hadn't been working for almost a year, having it officially end kind of made it more real. And as I said, I don't know how long this is going to take, but I'm not going to put a time. And now that I'm two months into this process, it's still there. And I think right now it's really hard because, you know, now we're sharing this information with everyone publicly. And, and I was really dreading that because even though all the legal things were done, once we told people, you know, outside of our close family and friends that have known what's going on, it just, it truly 100% means that it's over. And I still have my moments. And I think I'm going to grieve over this for a long time. But if you're right now in the grieving process too, know that I wish I could show up at your door and give you a huge hug and chat over some tea and just pray together. Know that I wish I could do that with you right now. But because I'm not there, I want to share with you the tool that I've been using now, you know, two months out that has really helped me. And um, I don't know if you've heard of the 10-minute rule. I've blogged about it before and I've talked about it. Um, it's always been a part of, it's kind of in my toolbox of things that I've learned um, to handle loss and grief. And it's basically this rule where every day you give yourself 10 minutes. You can have the biggest pity party in the whole world. Um, you can feel angry and broken and sad and cry and scream. Whatever you need to do. And just be upset about what is going on and what's happened to you. And, you know, 
I take that 10 minutes and then I pretty much move on. Um, and you know, this, this was a tool my therapist had taught me because I was just telling her that I was like, I feel shameful if I'm spending time pitying myself. But it also means that when I don't deal with that, then I just bottle everything up and these overwhelming emotions just crush onto me and then I deal with more depression. So I I was, you know, she was trying to help me understand that there needed to be a balance. So what I started doing was giving myself 10 minutes to freak out and I could ugly cry, mope, whatever it was. But then when that 10 minutes was done, I packed it up, put it on a shelf and continued on with my day. And then the next day I give myself another 10 minutes. I could be upset about the same issue, different issue, whatever it was. And, you know, I haven't used that strategy in a long time, um, in that capacity. And I don't recommend it early on in the grieving process. I think that it's important to feel everything. Um, but it has definitely helped me now as you know, when I, get really upset or there's something that just triggers, um, a memory or there's whatever, like whatever it is. Um, it's really helpful for me to just take that 10 minutes to let myself feel everything that I'm feeling and have that time, but then move on for the rest of my day. So I don't know if you've ever used the 10 minute rule, Um, and if you would like any more information on it, please feel free to contact me. Um, but friends, as we wrap this up, I'm sorry if you're hurting or that you've ever had to experience grief, no matter what the capacity, because loss is loss, whether it's a loss of a business and career or family member or, the life you thought you were going to live, all of that is hard. So as we finish, I want to share my prayer with you. This has been my prayer since day one of dealing with this grief. And I will continue to say it over and over and over again. Until my heart is at peace with what has happened. And, you know, when we do hard things for God, that's an act of worship. Just like we've talked about when we care for our bodies the way that we should, that's an act of worship. We're pleasing, you know, Jesus when we take care of our bodies. So, my biggest goal in this grief was to not only do my best to let go of this business gracefully, but I wanted my grief to be an act of worship. 
So I'm going to share this prayer with you. And as I share this and pray in this moment, I want you to know that I'm praying this prayer over your life too. Lord, I don't understand your plans. And I feel like you have taken away the dreams that you planted in my heart. Help me grieve while honoring you through it. Allow this to be an act of worship. In every moment, I feel like I can't continue on. Give me the strength to say, I can do hard things for you, Lord. Even this. Where you live shouldn't limit your access to quality internet. That's not fair. U.S. Cellular introduces fast and fair high-speed internet. With reliable home internet from U.S. Cellular, now there's no limit to how you stream, game, and work. So instead of this, you get this. Upgrade to fast and fair high-speed internet from U.S. Cellular. Upgrade to fair 